Welcome back to the new sports order. Happy to be back. Missed last week. That was on me as we had a big golf tournament. And I was doing double shifts. Well, split shifts. So, working the first part of the morning, go home for a while, then working evenings to get ready for the next day of the tournament. So, really inhibited my recording. Just burning the candle at both ends. Kinda. Just because it's not like, oh, you work whatever. I was doing like five hours in the morning and then another like four hours at night. And you're like, oh, it's the same as I normally do during the day and I can rest in the middle. But you don't do that. You don't like go home and rest for the afternoon. Well, you can't do that as like a schedule. You know, you can't, if you're only, especially if you're only doing it for a week, you really can't. All right, cool. I'm going to go sleep from noon to three and then go back in at four and it doesn't. And I'm not, on and turn it off. I'm very much not a good afternoon napper anyway. Really? I yeah. could nap any time from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. I get real Anytime. grumpy if I nap in the afternoon and I have to get up and like do something. Oh, crap, I got to get up. I don't like to be woken up from a nap unless it's my body telling me to wake up on its own, if that makes sense. But that seems like we're getting off topic already. <laughs> uh, I've had a couple weeks. It feels like football is officially uh, getting going. Now, some of the most interesting stuff has come from the coaches. Now, I feel like, Sterling, when we were kids, we all had a moment where we said something truthful but kind of a dick and our parents said hey you can't say that and we're like what i'm just telling the truth mom and they're just like yeah it's still rude it's the if you don't have something nice to say don't say anything at all like that was the lesson that you always got in those moments of yes just because someone has protruding ear hair doesn't mean you need to point that out and tell everybody you told me not to lie mom right because look because don't have a, they have no filter you know you see you report it's how the news should work but uh yeah there's no decorum and there seems to be very little as it pertains to sean payton nathaniel hackett aaron Rodgers, and everything therefore and also throw in Ron Rivera, who I feel like is just in his own world. <laughs> I feel like he doesn't know what he's saying half the time. Well, Remember last year be, with the he, he didn't. Oh, need to I be didn't a know we were eliminated from the playoffs. What? And he's like, yeah, some of our players. Ooh, a little worried about his intensity with enemies. And I'm like, wow, you just made your players look really soft, especially when you haven't been winning. Like, winning teams can be like, ah, oh, hey, we have a way of doing things, and it's worked. It's kind of like when Ben Simmons was like, hey, I don't want Jimmy Butler around here anymore. He's really messing up the vibe. He's too serious. How did that one pan out? But no, you're So you have that, but the big one being, you know, Sean Payton, who just said what everyone had said in terms of media, all last season, but very rarely do you have coach-on-coach coach violence. 
And it was it just, just a full-on drive-by on old Nat Hackett. And not in the season. You know, I feel like if something like this happens, it's usually, one, I think it's way more passive-aggressive. It's usually kind of a post-game comment. Maybe there was a terse handshake or a couple words exchanged. That's usually when you get, you know, a guy like, you know, we'll say like Mike Vrabel or someone will kind of make a comment that you'll go, oh, he just kind of pointed something out about that other coach. But it's usually maybe a little more veiled. You know, like, you know who he's talking about because you know who coached the other team that day. It is not just unprovoked shots fired. Yeah, I'm coaching this team. Boy, they really... It makes me believe that Sean Payton thought he was getting a good deal on a used car by going to Denver and going, you know, I mean, they got Russell Wilson. Like, that's it, a, that he, was he my thinks first. it has some good bones and a lot of mileage left on the engine, and then he kind of, like, bought it, and now he's popped the hood, and he's going, oh, that previous owner has just ruined this car. See, there's that. And also, like, in my head when I first saw it, I'm like, man, does he think they're going to be decent this year? It's like, I'm going to point out how bad and how awful they did a he, job oh, he's last the year. Expectations. He is 100%. So when I come in here and win, it's going to be epic. Well, and I think two things. I think, one, yes, when he took this job, he saw it as this is kind of an undervalued asset that I'm going to go in because they have a quarterback, they have a pretty, pretty good young defense, and they have a few pieces on offense. I'm Sean Payton. I'll get them there. Like, I can do the rest. I can do what these other guys couldn't do. And two, yes, I think he's trying to make this seem even more improbable when, I mean, what is the ceiling? The ceiling for the Denver Broncos, if they have as great a season as they could possibly have this year. Wild card, win one game in the playoffs. Yeah. Is being like a six seed, I think is probably as good as they could possibly do. And that's it. Now, the chances of them not doing that to not contend when they host the Patriots on Christmas Eve, Sunday night football, that they are four games out of the playoffs and Russell Wilson isn't even starting, that feels way more likely because there's an argument to be made that they're probably the fourth best team in that division, depending on how the Raiders do. And and I will say there is probably more strife around what the Raiders are trying to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. But no one's making the argument that they're a top-two team, even in their own division. And the fact that you think three could make it, but people kind of did last year. They thought with Hacken and Wilson that this is going to be the gauntlet and that they're all going to contend in that division. And here we are a year later, and one has a different head coach and the other has a new quarterback. I feel like in a little less than a year from now, there's a great chance that we'll be sitting here and the Cowboys' job will be open and the Chargers' job's going to be open and Sean Payton's going to be having a stiff cocktail, being like, ah, maybe shouldn't have gone for all that money right off and just hopped on the Denver wagon. And mixed in that cocktail will be Sam's Choice Cola. Because there's going to be a lot of Walt money he's flying getting, around. He's getting he's like living. $17 million a year having Sam's Club Cola. Probably get, gets it for free. Doesn't even have to pay for that Sam's Club Diet Cola. Let's, uh... Since we're on it, let's roll right into Hard Knocks episode one. Just what I was thinking, because I have lots of thoughts on Nathaniel Hackett. Let's let let can we start with him? Sure. Because I, there's a lot to unpack, but just so, rolling into this. Yes. Episode one Hackett. was last night as we record this on Wednesday night. 
and Nat Hackett. I had, well, I had lots of thoughts on all of the coaches <laughs> that were oh, in me episode too. one. Me too. We, we, we can go right down the list if you okay. want, but let's start with Hackett. Hackett, I watched, and my first thought was, I could see why this didn't work. I could see why him <laughs> as a head coach didn't work. My first thought was, wait, is this what Nathaniel Hackett looks like? Like, in that my too. head, I was, like, well, I was like, wait a minute. Like, this guy looks like he's stealing catalytic converters with Green Bay Aaron Rodgers the last three years. He grew a goatee since last he, year. Well, he's got like the edgy goatee, which, yeah. okay, I'll, I'll, let me throw this out. You and I, we, we know facial hair. We've done a lot of, yeah, we have we've had various forms of facial hair over the years. I had a goatee for far too long there than I should have had a goatee for. I, I had one from 2004 to, I want to say, 2013. So I, I had a good probably nine-year run with a goatee where most of the time I did not have a mustache with it. I went straight up 2000s relief pitcher, just the chin. And I think the it Gagne. sort of worked. The, the Gagne, the Brad Lidge, every successful closer reliever had just the chin. Um, and I let it grow out. I, I let it Not long. I didn't get a lot of length on it. I wasn't like the, you know hippie guitar player look, but but I had the goatee. I will say the look I will never do, and nor have I ever liked. There's never been a combination of this that I looked at and went, oh, that actually looks good, is the disconnected mustache-goatee combo. Like I, I, did, need, I, I need some rounding. I did try I, I that. Did. I've tried that before, I will say. It was short-lived. I don't you have to go like really manicured fine. Like you need the line in the middle. Like you have to go very, almost like the, uh, I feel like Paul Pierce had just the, like the little circle of hair on just like the, the tip of his chin. Like, you have to go really fine with it. Yeah. Um, that being said, Nathaniel Hackett with like kind of the long Billy goat goatee with the mustache, totally detached. I mean, he looks like he's throwing firecrackers at pigeons in the park. And in my head, I'm going, is this what he's looked like all along? Like, did I somehow miss this last year when he was in Denver? He looked because like he kind of all around in the form. He looked like the assistant strength and conditioning coach. Not he quite looked, the head of, head strength and conditioning guy, but the assistant. At like a, like a big high school. Not, not even like college, but like, you know, those like mega high schools that are, you know, one step away from college. He kind of looks like Marv's younger brother from home alone. Like looks like he's probably robbed some houses for something, but then they do the flashback in the episode where they show clean face Rogers work clean cut. He looks like an accountant from Sheboygan. Like couldn't look like a sweeter man, the entire. And that was the Nathaniel Hackett in my head pictures. I was imagining the guy who, you know, just sells tires on the weekends. Your buddy. That's that's old Nat. Nat Hackett. And now it's like, oh, he's going full on reinvention. He is trying to turn the page that I'm here with Rogers in New York, and I'm going to be a little edgy. This is his his alt rock album. Yeah. <laughs> so you knew. I knew going in. Like, okay. Especially like first episode is going to be hyper pro Aaron Rodgers. 
and look how great he is and everything he's bringing and look at all the great things he's going to do, which it was, and we can get into that. Right off the bat, I'm like, oh, how much time did some kind of PR person in Robert Sala spend cultivating this speech that's going to be on the beginning of episode one where he's talking about eagles and the only thing that can attack an eagle is a crow and the eagle flies it till it suffocates and falls to its death. I'm like, that was clearly like, okay, we're on hard knocks episode one. They're going to have the big speech that you give to the guys that's on every year. And they put a lot of time in and it was a miss. It was a miss for me. <laughs> One, I feel like, why would you compare yourself to an eagle when there's a team called the Eagles? I feel sure. like that's just off. Then throughout the episode, I just kept thinking, like, what does Robert Sala do? <laughs> I have seen nothing. He seems like he is not necessarily an alpha. He seems kind of just kind of wandering and saying stuff and nobody's really listening. Like you didn't, you don't get that. Like I said, alpha, I'm the leader vibe. Like you would get, like you got from Sean McVay during the Rams hard knocks, or Dan Campbell, the ultimate alpha, biting kneecaps. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, because in Dan Campbell's opening speech, he cried, just talking about how much football meant to him. Set a tone. I mean, we saw it with the. Uh, was it Jamal Williams made the the speech later and you know he cried you know just talking about how he was sick of losing and this was just at the end of a practice which probably keyed up a little bit for for hard knocks yeah I didn't understand the eagle crow thing and, and they kept showing all the players were like really into it Salah uh, like his struggle one he's a defensive coach he's got the, the the bald head strikes me as someone who should be sort of a a tough guy. He's got kind of a, a, a look to him. Always a little smirkish, you know, um, maybe, maybe his voice because he does seem a little more like softer spoken. Yeah. So a, a little less authoritative because it, it did strike me as well as he, he spoke a lot. Didn't really say a whole lot. Um, and I know we'll get into like specifically the Rogers stuff, but yeah, not a lot that I saw out of Salah that I went, oh, man, this is a guy who he knows he's got a good team. They they all know, by the way, they all feel like they have a friggin' juggernaut. The way they're already talking, and this is the very, this is episode one, so all this footage is pre-Hall of Fame game. The first days of camp, you can't tell anyone in that building they're not going to the Super Bowl, which maybe there's something to be said for that. There is some overconfidence in that, that building. Yeah, you know, a lot. And I was about to say this before we hit record, and I said I'd save it. About 15, 20 minutes in, I found myself starting to look at my phone a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, okay, let's drive around with Sauce Gardner again. And, you know, Wilson and like, and we talked about this whenever we were talking about hard hard knocks like last month, it's like, I miss, you know, here are these four or five rookies, three highly anticipated, two undrafted trying to make the roster. And there was like zero. It was all Rogers, 
Sauce Gardner, Wilson. And for yeah, whatever man. reason, hey, let's really talk up Zach Wilson for for 10 minutes. Hey, I was interested to see how they were going to do that. Like, how were they going to put the lipstick on that pig? Though, and- if you if you watch closely, I was like, you could already see the contempt in Aaron Rodgers' face as Zach keeps asking, like, stupid questions. Or what seemed like stupid questions. So if I drop here and I look here and there's someone there, should I throw it? No. No, you shouldn't. Maybe look the other way. Speaking of Zach Wilson, I, I had in my notes because I because I took notes. I forced myself for this pod to to take notes from the first episode of Hard Knocks. Zach Wilson talking about the pass that he threw. I think it was like the long bomb that he threw, you know, to midfield that was completed. Him talking about that throw, I wrote. Zach Wilson sounds like a moron. Like he sounds like a high school kid that only gets to throw three times a game. It was like. Dude, like I threw it and and he like dove out. You see, like he like reached out and like turned and like fell. And I'm like, oh my god, like this He's, kid is not smart. He sounds like the kid who's really trying to get the approval, like the high school kid really trying to get the approval of the coach or the senior captain. Yeah, I could see. Well, like and, asking a lot of questions. That are easy really questions, engaged. but just yeah, trying to see seem like you. Yeah, I'm really trying to benefit from from having Rogers. You know what I had written down about Salah from the game itself, which he didn't really coach. I mean, you know, but even as it was going, I, did I? I wrote Robert Salah too nice? Question mark because it did seem if this goes wrong, I don't know that he's the guy to turn it around. Oh, he is he is one hundred percent the fall guy if it doesn't go well this year. Oh, absolutely. Ab- you know, he he one hundred percent is because it's not going to be Rodgers because they're going to do whatever they can just to get him to play a second season. If this season doesn't go well, he could go out and throw forty picks and ten touchdowns, and the Jets would say, "Thank you, may I have another? Will you please come back? We will give you the full amount to play." Somewhere the Minnesota Vikings are like, "We'll have him next year." Or they'll just keep following this fire script. <laughs> he won't be on hard knocks. He'll be on quarterbacks. Um, yeah, I, I think Salah, I, I just, I don't know that if it doesn't go well out of the gate, if he can keep the nose up and, and keep it from capsizing. Uh, something that I think is sort of prevalent as, as we look at kind of the overarc of the entire show, and, and you sort of touched on it, you said, we don't have the rookies. And I know the Jets kind of came out and said like they didn't want to do it they didn't want the distraction but they also said they didn't want to show like the guys getting cut yeah they didn't want the montage which you know it's part of like it's part of the reality that's what makes reality tv reality tv is seeing good bad and indifferent it's the competition of the show right like it's not a, a a reality competition show but to a point you watch the finale to go like I still remember wanting uh Kajust. I can't remember his first name, the tight end from the Browns, mm. remember that season. Like that being one where like he met his dad and he was into crystals and energy. And, yeah, I remember his- rooting for Danny Amendola on the Cowboys yeah. as a like undrafted rookie on hard mm-hmm. knocks. I remember Brogan Roback from the, the Brown season. I don't know why the, the Brown season sticks with me with some of those guys like you know, you got to know him, and, and you start I, the Cowboy season, the uh, offensive lineman who was from Mexico. Yep. 
you know, like that was a great story. The running back, the Cowboys also had that had the the glasses and was having issues with that. And, you know, just um, it, it does. It gives you something more to root for because this season, look, all right, cool. Garen Wilson, like we know he's making the team. We know this is going to be a thing. We know Sauce Gardner. And I'm interested to get to know Sauce Gardner a little bit better you know, because I think he is going to be a guy. There was a moment where Rodgers talked about him going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's played one season. And even I was going, yeah, I mean, if he, if he plays like this, like he's probably going to yeah. be in the Hall of Fame in you know 15 years. But Has an individual handshake with Aaron Rodgers that is Ricky Williams-esque? Promoting a little Where they kind of go like, they almost go there, too huh? sweet into a fake smoke, into a put it put the butt out on some a on teammate's someone. arm. It was a little reminiscent of one Randall Pink Floyd. Didn't they bit. have he he and uh, Mr. Dawson? Didn't they have kind of a, a thing where where there's I think there was some smoking involved. I think there was. Um, yeah. The only other note I think I had was three and a half minutes on no look passes question mark, which is definitely not Rogers' thing. Like th- th- like sorry, th- like it's Pat Mahomes' thing. Like Pat Mahomes yeah. is the like throws no look passes guy like this is his you know that 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 is his corner and the montage is all with no defense <laughs> and it's not well, like said, it's and it's not like huge it's like a 10 yard difference maybe like oh i'm looking to the right hash but throwing it to the left hash it wasn't even like that some of them were just like i'm looking at the defender but i'm throwing it to the receiver in front of the defender it's like well i i would sort of hope so there um and then an additional minute watching defensive players throw no-look passes. Yeah, Garrett Wilson trying to throw a football was quite ugly. It, it wouldn't even have qualified as like a handoff. It, it was... But that was Rodgers talking him up. You know who I saw throw some good ones? <laughs> Zach Wilson. Um, all right, few, I, I had some other notes. Uh, the guy I was not a fan of... <laughs> I believe my my note here says DC is a D bag. <laughs> like had a beard, a little reminiscent of yours actually. Had kind of a lot, lot of gray. It was a fine beard, but just him talking and and he was the one who I think his immortal quote was they got beat in a like seven on seven and Rogers made a great throw to a corner and he's like look guys look that throw. Human beings can't make that throw. Like, that is an ungodly... Like, I mean, he went on and on and on, and gosh. And and I will say, also a little hurt, too, because at one point, you know, as they were talking about the the Jets' motto for this year, which is all gas, no brakes, um, like it's a no-fear t-shirt from 2002... Uh, he says something about like, oh, don't don't tell me to you know do your job. Don't don't tell me do your job. You know, tell me how you're gonna do it or something, some you know bull like that. And I'm like, okay, so this slappy is is trying to take down the Patriots is what he's doing here. Um, was just not a fan. But what really set off was the the line about how ungodly because it launched into another four minute montage of the Jet coaches just losing their minds over Aaron Rodgers throwing footballs against air. Yeah. If you yeah. had to Robert Sala going Robert... up to people, that was so one heck great. of a throw, right? I'm like, oh. what? Number eight. Heck of a throw. Like, I would hope so. 
It's like well, a three-time MVP. Kind of, yeah, Aaron Rodgers can throw the football, especially against no defense. We got that. He would just sort of keep almost muttering. Like, it, he was spoken, but it felt like something someone would mutter, just going, oh, man, it's great. Oh, it's just it's just great. And what wow, also, just, like you can great. tell, like you said, how little, and I'm sure, part of the Jets finally agreeing to do hard knocks I'm guessing they have a lot of control in what is or isn't going into the episode. Like, we're filling out episode one with, like, four minutes of Liev Schreiber flying in on a helicopter, which I will say I did not know that he was the narrator for Hard Knocks. I had never put that. that? I didn't know that. And I enjoy Liev Schreiber, the actor. So why are we like, there's this buildup and like, it's bringing everybody and it's showing well, like Curtis Martin and all these stars. And then all of a sudden you see a helicopter and like, it's bringing in and like, Whoa, who is this? Is this Jay Z? Is it Beyonce? And then for whatever reason, Aaron Rodgers is just, I wonder if it's Liev, the narrator of hard knocks. Like, why would, why would you know that before, unless it's completely a setup for the episode? Well, and they they did show, I think, the clip from the Tahoe uh, Century, Cla- you know, the the Accenture Classic Golf Tournament there at, at Tahoe, where Rogers, you know, says about like not want to be on Hard Knocks. He goes, but yeah, you know, if we got to do it, I want to meet Leif Shriver. I want to meet the voice of God. And so I think that kind of like set it up like, oh, this is like a, a bit we can do. And I, I guess, you know, they, they said something about like he's never been seen on an episode or he's never gone to camp, you know, on, on any season that they've done. Yeah, he said he'd never um, seen a practice before. Yeah, which it's I fine. actually I, I liked him. Yeah, like I thought he was kind of interesting. It was cool to see, though. And I may be wrong on this because, again, this goes to me not seeing a lot of movies that in my head. Liev Schreiber is like from Northern Ireland. Am I wrong? Like San Francisco, I, just, I believe. Yeah, he said something about going to like you know Brooklyn Tech or something like that and playing football. And I'm like, wait a minute. Just in my head, I was getting like he has like a cool accent outside of TV and movies and stuff. And you see him speaking there, and it's just like, oh yeah, no, he's he's a dude. Man, cool. like, I mean, like two minutes of me. Aaron Rodgers going up to everybody. Hey. Did you say hello to Liev? Did you say hello to him? Go say hello. How Don't be rude. Go that? say hello. Go, go say hi. Go say hi. It's, it's the voice of God, which, by the way, I've never heard anyone call him the voice of God before. And, and credit to Liev Shriver for saying, no, that's John. I had in my notes, John Facenda is the voice of God. He was the voice of all the NFL films up until Super Bowl 18 when he passed away in 1984. Or Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman's a good one, too. In an NFL environment, it's John Facenda. Autumn Wynn is a Raider. Like, that's the guy. I've never heard Liev Shriver called the voice of God. He does a great job on Hard Knocks. And, and again, you don't necessarily realize that it's him because you don't see it. His voice does sound different. I didn't realize it was for a while, but then you see it. He's always in the credits. But, yeah, Rogers. I mean, he must call him the voice of God 45 times. And him trying to get all of his teammates to go say hi to him, it, it's like uh, when you're at like a family party and your grandparents are trying to get you to like say hello to people you've never met before, and you really don't want to like start a conversation with. Hey, 
Have you met the Johnsons? Come, come here. Come, come introduce yourself to the Johnsons. Tell them about your singing. You're like, my what? <laughs> like, I have no idea how to start. That's what Rogers was doing. It was, that was the most kind of forced aspect of the show was him trying to be. Yeah. Who's director. I don't I know. I got a lot of like Rogers putting on a bit of a show. Now, just recently I read and we'll put in quotation marks red. When Tom says red, it's you it's audio booked. Uh Gunslinger. The Brett Favre book by Jeff Perlman. I did that this past week. And like all the stuff about Rogers towards the, that part of the book was like well, yeah, nobody liked him. <laughs> real arrogant like gave real Kobe vibes from very Kobe vibes from uh, Three Ring Circus like bringing up his Wonderlick score to Brett Favre <laughs> and Favre's like the fuck out of here with your Wonderlick score <laughs> like and the same kind of, okay we saw how everything kind of went down at the end of the Green Bay season so I feel like this is like, okay, we're going to make Aaron Rodgers look as human as we can. And him going out of his way like, oh, I'm going to be the good teammate, showing Zach the ropes and giving him tips and trying to be one of the guys. It was a one-hour infomercial for Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. I mean, that that was, and yeah. I think coupled with the narrative that the Jets want a very positive experience, they want a very, you know, they, they want to have control over what is seen and what isn't seen. It does feel like this is a very sanitary, Jet-centric, it feels like propaganda, essentially is what it feels like. And I, I'm glad to hear you say that too, because I'm thinking, all right, I'm a Patriots fan. I don't want to see all this pro jet stuff. I don't want to, you know, like I, I've disliked the coaches from what I've seen. I was disliking some of the players. Sauce Gardner seemed fine. Garrett Wilson seemed like a nice kid. Um, but we haven't met any linemen or anything like that. I always end up liking the linemen. But yeah, Rodgers just don't try to make me like Aaron Rodgers because it feels so contrived. And it, it does. It, right. It's this manufactured. Hey, I'm going to be a coach today. Where's my headset? I'm going to call some plays. Every highlight of Aaron Rodgers was throwing it in the net perfectly. <laughs> like, wow. He never misses. And that's the thing is every time he did anything, there's people going, woohoo. It was like, and I get after a season with Zach Wilson, I'm sure Robert Sala every night is going, oh my God, this is so great. Like, it's just, oh my God. Like, he did. He got a reprieve. Like he just, uh, it, it's like he got a new office in the building they just built. And this one has air conditioning and a big window overlooking a pond when his old one was in like the basement of a trailer or something like, you know, it, it had no window and was hot in the summer and hot in the winter. I don't know. Like he does feel like a guy who just got off death row. All right, let's, let's move on from the jets. We've spent far too much time on the Jets, probably. Way too much. I think that's all the... Yeah, yeah that was all the notes I had. Yeah. Uh, by us. I heard an interesting question on a podcast this week, and I purposely didn't give you a heads up because I wanted to get your 
your quick opinion on it, or your Appreciate quick thoughts. It. Okay. it was kind of a fun one. We're talking AFC East. More likely, Mac Jones is better than Tua this year, or Tua is better than Aaron Rodgers. Okay, let's see. More, it almost feels like this one of those riddles where it's like rock, paper, scissors, where it's like, well, if he's better than this, then this has to be better than that. And can this, you know, can this exist while that exists? Um, okay. More likely More to have the better season, Mac, better season than Tua, or Tua, or Tua having Tua. a better season than Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to go. I think it's more likely that Mac Jones has a better season than Tua than Tua has than Aaron Rodgers. And I'll say that because Notches is a pro Patriot. The footage I've seen from Dolphin Camp, including a tweet I saw tonight, which as a Patriot fan made me laugh out loud. Um, I, I saw a couple of clips during uh, padded practice for the Dolphins where Tua is dropping back and the defense is just ensconcing him in plays with his injury history. I mean, it's the absolute is, last yeah. thing you want to see. And the tweet I saw this evening was Isaiah Wynn standing out at Dolphins practice will be key member of Dolphin offensive line. As someone who's watched Isaiah Wynn for four seasons play as either a turnstile or a human penalty flag factory, I laughed and said, oh boy. If he's the linchpin of the Miami offensive line, Tua will not play six games this season. It won't happen. So I think that is the line of delineation that I will make through this process, that I will take the easier money, I believe, that Mac Jones will have a better season than Tua because I don't think Tua is going to have a better season than many quarterbacks. And I will say almost to no fault of his own because I think the situation, I'll say it's getting untenable. I just think for what he needs and what he does, I don't think it's around him right now. That's outside fair. of skills. That is, and I, I think they may have focused too much on skill positions. Yeah, to say that's got the really big fast receivers. The big question mark for him is health. You know, the Patriots. I think the big question mark is: Does he have the weapons? When you know talk out of campus Devonte parker right now looking like the go-to guy for the patriots like, eh. but so you gotta hope it's it's, it's Juju Juju. schuster like it, it's gotta be him and if it's not him you want to be gasicki or henry you know you want gasicki to be that guy that you go okay this starts to make a little more sense if you go 22 personnel and you have gasicki and henry though we thought we were getting that with john smith and hunter henry and it just it never happened they they never they never ran 22 personnel with two tight ends with them on the field at the same time. Um, I wonder if we'll see more of that because Gasicki's really more of a kind of big receiver slot guy than necessarily who, a, a inline I forgot. tight end. But. We didn't record last week. Who was the Patriot last week who said Aaron Ro- or Aaron Hernandez was a legend? Uh, well, someone made the comparison that Gasicki and, and Henry could be the best. It could be a legendary combo like Gronk and Hernandez. I, I can't remember who. Said I don't it. think that's what it was. I'll have to look it up at some point. But yes, someone said something about 
you walk through and you look at the pictures and called Aaron Hernandez like a legend. Yeah, I don't, I've ever seen something about it. I didn't like most things when Aaron Hernandez's name comes up. I don't focus too yeah. too brightly on it. I think I mean my my standard line is Ben. I think we're as I'm getting ready for preseason preseason notebooks starting this week. Be writing it on the road this week as the Patriots play the Texans uh, tomorrow night as we're recording. Uh, you're today as you're reading and listening. Um, here's my standard line on on Mac Jones. The Patriots were nine and seven last year. No, nine nine and eight. They were nine and eight. They won nine games with no offense. There uh, there, there was not an offensive scheme to be found. Now, at least with Bill O'Brien, you have an idea. You have a clue. And I think adding Gasicki and, you know, the juju to Jacoby Myers, it's probably, you know, at best, it's a wash. Um, I think the offense will be better. I think the defense might actually be a little bit better than last year. There's a chance, I think, I mean, if nine wins is, you know, kind of your quote-unquote rock bottom, Okay, I mean, like this could be a, a hell of a lot worse than a nine-win team kind of being bottoming out. I think kind of Mac Jones this year, if he operates the offense that they have and stays healthy with the piece that they have, I mean, they have a brutal schedule. The, the over-under for this team, I, those just came out today. Most uh, betting places have them at six and a half over-under. Six and a half. And they have a tough schedule. I mean, they they, they have to play the NFC East. Um, they have to go to Germany. They, they have a tough schedule. But six and a half wins for a team that won nine without an offensive coordinator last year and a sophomore quarterback. I'm not a betting guy, and I hate shows that go, well, you should bet on that. I can't stand it. It drives me nuts mm-hmm. that everyone is suddenly a betting expert now that it's becoming legal everywhere. Um, I would hammer that over. I'd be all I'd be all over it, but um, yeah, just six and a half just seems like a slap in the face. Feels like one they should be at least seven and a half, eight and a half. Seems off, you know, what they did last year, but I think it kind of says more about the rest of the the conference. But hey, positive vibes. You guys have positive vibes going. You know, have an owner going. We're moving on without him. He's not here. Jerry, you not. Know, I, I thank my lucky stars every day. I mean, when you see some of these owners, when you see the the Jim Ursays, and you see Jerry, and you see, I mean, what Washington just got done with. Yeah, pretty thankful for Robert Kraft. Really have to say, and and if Jonathan, which you know, I mean, Jonathan's been a little, maybe a little more outspoken, but at the same time, he's not the owner. You know, he's the number two. And will be the owner, you know, uh, someday. I, I don't believe. Hopefully, we're going to lapse into that because Jim Irsay is Robert Irsay 2.0. Like these things don't <laughs> skip a generation. You get what you get when you get the big seat. But yeah, oddly, even with Jerry Jones saying dumb things about you know the Zach Martin negotiations or lack thereof, I'm like, how? Oh, at least he's not Jim Irsay. <laughs> I have that going for me, which is nice. As they're uh, they're bringing in Kareem Hunt for a workout and a look. The Colts, that is, as they're going through the Jonathan Taylor 
whatever you want to call it, issues, uh, disrespecting a saga. Disrespect, I feel like, is a safe one. Yeah, uh, maybe. I, I mean, I, 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 he's Jonathan uh, Taylor's only like twenty six, so he's not. He's still very much in his prime. Well, I mean, for a running back, I mean, he's yeah. like two two years from the cliff. But um, for for what most people think, anyway. Um, I don't know how you let it get to this. And I understand the whole, you know, making a stand. I think we're going to look back in a year and look at the running back uh, disagreements or contract strifes and all that. And I think there's a good chance a year from now we're going to look back at this and go like, what the hell were they doing a running backs last year? You know, especially if you look at what Saquon did and you look at what Josh Jacobs did. If Jonathan Taylor plays anywhere but the Indianapolis Colts this year and has a big year, I mean, this will be kind of the landmark moment where you go, oh, no, you still need running. If you have a marquee running back, that can help you win football games, which for the amount of time that we spend talking about the passing game, but then they say, oh, well, but you got to be able to run to set up the pass. And that's a little backwards now, but still, it is a big part of the offense. And if you have a, a great player, at, regardless of the position, I still understand why you'd want to run him out of town early. And with the Colts, it just seems completely needless the way that they've handled it. Yeah, it's just, especially when you're, it looks like for all intents and purposes, rolling out a rookie quarterback starting in week one, you would think it's in his and the team's best interest to have arguably the best running back in the NFL in the backfield. That's just me. I'm no professional. So if you take Jonathan Taylor off the Colts, what do you have? I'm trying to think of a receiver's name for the Colts, but I'm blanking. Well, Paris Campbell's not there yeah. anymore. I was talking to a friend who's a Giants fan yesterday. He's like, well, we got Paris Campbell. I go, oh, God, yeah, another reason that um, the Colts shouldn't be that. I they got Richardson. Yeah, they got a rookie quarterback who – uh, is toolsy and has physical skills and all of this. Yet he threw a million interceptions in Gainesville last year, but certainly take him fourth overall. This will certainly work with no weapons, a poor offensive line, no running back to hand the ball off to to take some some of the beatings off of him uh, in a defense that has been decimated with injuries over the last several seasons. But, oh, by the way, you also have a first-year head coach. Have fun. But at least they have a coach with experience and not Jeff Saturday. Yeah, but I mean, they hired Stachin, right? Staken? No, they have uh, Reich, right? No, he's in Carolina. Oh, yeah, mixed him up. Yeah, they hired uh, Shane Staken from uh, the Eagles. So they have a first-time head coach who I saw. Well, at least he's got some coaching experience as opposed to Jeff Saturday. <laughs> you know, I'll reword it and it still makes sense. He's a, he's a first time head. Yeah. The, your point was still being made a first time head coach, but at least, you know, he's been employed in the NFL other than being a center 15 years ago. And having a office in the building as some kind of like ambassador slash independent, <laughs> whatever he was. It's okay. Russell Wilson. Liaison. 
Not Russell anymore. Wilson an they got rid of his office. Did they Peyton, get rid of it? When Peyton came in. No more individual office. For Russ. Change with everybody else. Who would have thought that's a bad idea? Uh, let's uh, let's move on. A little bit of baseball here before we uh, talk about the movie watched this week. Since we last talked, trade deadline came and gone. The Red Sox did nothing. Did not buy, did not sell. Just kind of stayed packed. Proceeded to lose and lose and lose. And now all the reports are there's something wonky going on within the team. You have, I feel like, Jaron Duran having this great young season. He's, what, 26, hitting over 300, eight homers, 40 RBIs. And now missing time when Duvall is in the lineup. But also long shot for the wild card after the first week post-trade deadline. And a real sense of what what is the direct, like coming out of the deadline. It was like, wait a minute, what's the direction here? Usually it's either, hey... You're going to buy. No, we're going to sell. You have people you could sell. Duran being one. There was some weapons you probably could have went out and tried to get to try to make a run. You did nothing. And now no clue what the direction is for these last few months. Can we have starting pitchers? Like, I don't want to be the the old man... Who's like back in my day, starters, you know, you you finish the game that you started, and in your off days, you finish the games of the guys who couldn't finish their games. But it feels like a detriment that suddenly everyone is doing what Tampa's done to the success of zero World Series championships and very few playoff wins. The whole having an opening pitcher to have a reliever start the game, um, Kind of an odd concept to me still. I get it to a point. And I get having the, the idea of a bullpen day where you don't really have a starter. You kind of hope everyone can go one or two innings. The Nick Pavetta thing just seems very odd to me that we have to start uh, a, a reliever with a seven ERA to pitch the first inning. Hate it. And then regardless of how he does, he could strike out the side on nine pitches. We're bringing in Nick Pavetta for the second inning and he's going to throw six. And he's been very good. Like, I don't understand the psychology behind that, but then. You can't also two other days a week start, you know, Richard Blyer and uh, I mean I'm trying to remember some of these names that have been DFA'd this week and already been sent packing out of town because we're calling guys up with ERAs in the fives and sixes and AAA, giving them one inning of mop up duty, and then four days later they're the opening pitcher against the Toronto Blue Jays in a game where we need to win the series to try to jump them in the standings. Instead, we start relievers two out of three games, and then Paxton gets ripped in the middle game. And we get blown. I mean, how futile did it feel? It's almost like when you blitz a quarterback and he lobs it over the defense for a wide-open touchdown. You feel like an idiot, but yeah, if it had worked, it would have been fine. That's what it felt like on Sunday when they had opening pitchers and it got decimated 13-1. to 
it was like, well, yeah, what did you think throwing guys who probably shouldn't be on a big league roster and they got absolutely lit up? That's what should have happened, and it's what did happen, but you feel like an idiot for having watched it. And it's a weird... Because this, how it's gone the last week or so or whatever, is kind of how we envisioned it was probably going to go all year. But we had this cool run. Like, wait a minute. We might be able to fight for a wild card, which is now, now it's kind of back to where expectations were, but expectations had changed at that point, which makes it depressing again. You got Chris Sale coming back on Friday, which a fun fact Brian Bello now has more innings pitched this year than Chris Sale the last three years. Oh, I believe it. Um, I think he's at 108 innings pitched this season and Sale's at like 104 since 2021 or whatever it was, 2020. Well, and when you talk of starting pitching, I mean, like, that's what it comes down to is going into the year, as they always do, they always think they have seven starting pitchers because you can never have enough. I mean, how how many years have we heard you can never have enough starting pitching because guys are always going to go down and guys are always going to get nicked up? 2004, when all five starters made every start for the season, like, that is the anomaly in Major League Baseball. They start the year, you have Kluber, you have Paxton who's going to come in you know, at some point during the year, but you had Kluber, Sale, Bayo, Hauk, and Whitlock. So you're going, okay, like, oh, and then you also had Pavetta, who was right there. Oh, and Cutter Crawford is like your unofficial you know, ninth starter. And then within three months, Whitlock's out again, Hauk is out again, Sale's been out for most of the season. Kluber is, I didn't, he's in purgatory somewhere between Worcester and Portland and Boston. And I think he, he's probably holed up at a day's end in Nashua. I have no idea. And you, you have Cutter Crawford now as a starter. You have Pavetta, de facto, not starting starter. Bayo, and now Paxson, who, I mean, if they'd traded him a month ago when he was cruising with that, whatever, two and a half ERA he had through like a five or six start stretch. Now he's gotten ripped for the last four starts. So his value was absolutely nothing. And then when you see him get beat up by Toronto and knocked out early after a couple rough starts and you just pass the trade deadline, you go, you know, any chance they had to get to the playoffs rested on the shoulders of Bayo and Paxton, you know, giving you quality starts and winning ball games. And then to just immediately see Paxton get ripped, Bayo throw a gem that gets blown up by the bullpen. It's like, what are we doing? Like the margin for error is so thin with this team and you can make the argument and people are luckily you know, the Red Sox haven't tried to say it. Cause if they did, it would have been you know, met with straight derision by the fan base to say the additions at the trade deadline wouldn't be any better than us getting sale, Hauk, Whitlock and Trevor story back. Like that's what they're counting on is, We're not going to make a move because we're going to get four quality players back and that's going to help us. The problem is, is that bringing back Garrett Whitlock, the starter, I don't know how much that helps you. Bring back Garrett Whitlock, the seventh, eighth inning weapon to set up Kenley Jensen, that will help you. Can Hulk be a starter? We don't know. Can Sale be a starter? We don't know. Can Trevor Story give us anything? We don't know. I mean, there there are a lot of ifs and buts. But at the same time, the only thing I will say for them not doing anything I don't know what the move to be made was. I feel like it was those little ones, like, oh, if someone wanted Duvall, sure. just free it up. 
Th- there give were guys Duran the full. Let Duran go for the rest of the year. Oh, let so, him. Okay, eat. so so you keep saying Duran. I would not trade Duran. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying Duval. So Duran right. is starting every day, yes. as opposed yes. to we're still bringing in Duval against righties and. No, yeah. I. I would have traded Duval. I also would have, if there was a, something out there for Verdugo, I think Verdugo is a trade chip, and, and I would fully, because of the stuff going on with him and being laid and continuously being benched, uh, you know, if they could get something for him and he had some value as a trade chip, I would, you know, lob him into a deal. I don't know what was out there and everything I've heard, and again, this could be because the Boston Red Sox owns most of the media in Boston, was that pretty much every trade partner, if they were going to get a a starter that they could control beyond this year or, you know, a, a quality starting pitcher or, or really any caliber starting pitcher. Every team was starting with, they wanted Bayo or they wanted Cassis or they wanted Duran. And I think really outside of Devers, those are the guys you're looking at going, yeah, we're not trading any of those three. I think those are the only ones. I mean, Yoshida put him on that list too, but otherwise they would probably listen to anyone on that roster except those young guys. Do you believe you, that they that, were? That's if you you're successful in a couple of years. That's what you're building around. Do you believe they were actually in on Verlander, or no. that was like literally a hey, let's call this number so it shows up on on the call log, so it looks like we were kicking the tires on something. Well, I mean, the Red Sox are kings of interest. They, they are they're interested. Uh, the Red Sox were thought to have been. It's always after the fact. Uh, thought to be interested in uh, Max Scherzer uh, didn't happen. It's like. Every year, that that's what comes up. Um, did they have interest? I mean, did, and here's what always gets like, me. Hey, this happens we'll this- take Verlander for a dollar seventy-five. Exactly, and and that's what gets me when people say, "Oh, you know the uh, who's the, there was an example a year ago that drove me crazy because there was oh it was the announcement. I think Pro Football Focus put this out there, which is absolutely just a propaganda made up. A hypothetical quote unquote news site for the NFL. And they said the Patriots had talked to teams about trading Mac Jones. And in my head, I'm going, like, you have a quarterback who's coming off two years. He's under rookie control for at least two more, and you have the club option for his fifth year. But it can be true that that's reported because all it takes, Tom, is for me to call you and go, hey, uh, is Mac Jones available? And you say, no. But it can be reported that the Patriots have talked to teams about trading Mac Jones. Doesn't mean that they're going out and shopping him and saying that they're doing it. But it's the same in this case of, did the Red Sox talk about Verlander? Because the, the only controversy was, the Red Sox considered trading Justin Turner. Yeah, I mean, they, they probably had a conversation where someone said, oh, are you going to hang on to Turner? We could use that bat. I mean, who wouldn't want? If you're going to the playoffs, you'd love to add a Justin Turner who can play different positions, clubhouse guy. Hits mm-hmm. for power, having a good season, clutch. Who wouldn't want him? If I was trading with the Red Sox, yeah, I would ask about Bayo. I would ask about Cassis. I would ask about Duran. I would see if I could get Turner uh, to make my team better. Does that mean they were doing it? Yeah, I, I think that's where I'll actually kind of side with the team and say some of those things are probably overblown, and I hope they did do their diligence because they need starting pitchers. And is Verlander and Scherzer the answer? Absolutely not. Never thought I'd say those words. Mm. It's almost at that point, like, hey, maybe at the end of the year I'll see Marcelo Mayer for a few games, and that'll be exciting. 
Yeah, he's actually he's hurt in Portland right now, so he's actually on the uh, the IL. Mm. He, he was in a big uh, a big slump. He started off red hot in Portland and then uh, cooled off. I want to say he was like one for twenty four at one point, and then he ended up going on the IL right after. So, um, yeah, so a little, but hey, it's it's really the first roadblock he's had so far through the minor league system. So we'll we'll see how he responds to it. Hopefully, the injury isn't isn't too much. But uh, did you speak just speaking of Red Sox? Well, we can. Go out on this one. Uh, did you see the ball that broke the out light on the Green Monster tonight? I did not. Yeah, for Kansas City, hit a ball to left field. Yoshida went back to the wall, and I was actually listening to the game at the time. And uh, Sean McDonough goes, and uh, Yoshida catches it against the wall. And then he goes, uh, wait, no, he didn't. But he, he's like, but I don't know where the ball is. We can't find it. The ball hit the red light that signifies the number of outs and just shattered it and just went right in. So when you see the video, the ball just sort of like disappears and suddenly you see a white light in the middle of the the ball. It's it's a pretty cool visual. Joe Castiglione said in the radio, he goes, well, that's a first in 41 years. I've never seen that happen here. So kind of a cool ground rule double. Sure. Hmm. And for the other team, which makes sense for the current Sure. Last that, few that weeks. Ended up winning 4-3 tonight. So uh, it's like we should not be having World Series-esque battles with the Kansas City Royals. Like we we just can't. We still somehow manage. Oh, yeah, we'll pretty much sweep the Braves and then we'll lose three out of four to Oakland. Or... Well, and that's been the frustration with this team is that we looked at this stretch and we go, all right. Yeah, we got Kansas City, we got Toronto, it was like we got Washington coming up uh this weekend. You know, they have the Tigers coming in. You had to look at Royals for 4, Tigers for 3, Nationals for 3 and go, "All right, they got to win 9 games out of these 10." And they, winning all 10 is definitely on the table. And then you you get like swept by Toronto. Seven. Yeah, I mean, if you even go 5 and 5 during the stretch, it's like, "Okay, the season is absolutely over." Like Start start calling up some prospects. Let's let's get some hope in here. But oh, last thing, just for your two cents, as a fellow uh, broadcaster with a degree in broadcasting, and we talked about crazy owners there at the end of our NFL. Sure. If you're a Baltimore Orioles fan oh. and you're having this resurgence, and you're at the top of the AL East. For the first time and I don't know how long. I don't remember. And your owner pulls off just one of the most thin skin, just brutal moves ever in suspending your play-by-play announcer, Kevin Brown, for pointing out that you hadn't won a series in Tropicana in however long it had been. Since like 2017. 2017. Like, now all of a sudden, literally the biggest story <laughs> that the Orioles have had all season is a negative one about how petty their owner is. Which, by the way, suspended the play-by-play guy. Meanwhile, it was on the TV stat sheets, and they, they had built a graphic for it. So it's not like... He went rogue and mentioned that they had lost games. Like there were many people in on the hey, and they it was laid out. 
as a positive, like, hey, look, this hasn't right. happened since 2017, and we're we've won the first two games. We're about to do this. Suspends him, and since the outrage, and it's been funny, like Red Sox announcers, Yankees announcers, like everyone's come out and be like, "What a dink <laughs> this guy is for doing it." They've since, I think, said he's. They've lifted the suspension, and he's and he's back. But did I see somewhere that during the suspension he's been calling their games on radio? I don't. I did not. I I, I swear I heard someone say that today that uh, he filled in on the radio broadcast. I don't know. One of his games when he but was he's available. like usually a pretty good announcer. He does like college football and some yeah. college basketball for ESPN. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the the point that you made of like that graphic came from the truck. Like, yeah, there was production in this, and as you said, like they they were a lot of people were aware of this. Whoever like the the broadcast director was, you know, all everyone was aware of this tab because, like, you know, like I know Tom and, and we partnered on TV broadcasts over this. Like, the time that you almost plan the most in terms of visuals and topics and the most kind of rundown that you have that is most like a sports talk show is the pregame show yes that is where you go okay so we're going to go with this graphic we're going to lead into this we're going to talk about you know last night's game and then we're going to talk about tonight's starters and then we're going to talk about a few stats and then we're going to you know tease the the starting lineups then you start the game everyone on this broadcast was aware of what they were going to talk about like they had, they had all seen like mm-hmm. how many people Tom would you say had eyes on that graphic before it went on TV? Probably a minimum of three, based on my experience from when we were doing TV. And, and we'll extrapolate that because this is you know a Major League Baseball broadcast. It's probably more like a dozen, like minimum, minimum of a dozen people probably at least saw that graphic and i get they're doing 162 games so they're probably not looking at it with that critical eye of like well like is this kind of a negative thing like it's different we're like football where you're you know you're going over it for six days and you know you're coming up with all these stats and everything you want to use but to put it just at the the feet of your play-by-play guy who is the face Right, like he is the face of your broadcast. He is the only one that your fans can name because they can't name who you know does instant replay in the truck. They can't name the the director of, uh, right. of your broadcast. And a lot of times, like when you and I have done TV, we've done football where I was producing in the truck when you were calling it. I would feed you stats yes. in your ears that would match graphics we had coming up. Sure. I'm not saying well, that's you, what happened. You, but... you would let me know what the graphic is that, yeah. oh, I'm going to, like, we're going to show the record graphic because there would have been a meeting beforehand where you said, okay, here's the five graphics we had. And I'm sure that Kevin Brown had that in front of him. And hell, he probably even called for it, like you do on the news where they say, oh, hey, by the way, I'm going to use graphics two and three here. And I'm going to call for two for, like, I, I'm sure he called his shot and they said, cool, we'll have it ready for you. So to an extreme, said, to an extreme. It would be like in 2004, the Red Sox 
suspending Don Orsillo for mentioning they hadn't won a World Series since 1918. We say that, but at the same time, it's like they let Don Orsillo go. <laughs> like Don Orsillo is an absolute legend who never should have left. Very much like Terry Francona. They're like they're one in the same in my head. That they should both be in Boston. They should both yes, have, but. You know, I'm just saying, like to an extreme, but, it would be like, oh, yes. how dare you mention we have not won a World Series since 1918? Well, but but you know what else I want to put out there is that you mentioned. So all of these people know this. All these people know that this is going to happen. You know who else is aware of the fact that the Baltimore Orioles probably haven't swept the Tampa Bay Rays in Tampa in six years? The fans. Every- Every fan of the Baltimore Orioles is readily aware that this team has been hot garbage except for that one Zach Britton season like 10 years ago with Buck Showalter. Aside from that, they've been a dumpster fire since Tony Tarasco and Jeffrey Mayer. I, who do they think they're fooling? Like it, it, These are the things that small, and you use the word thin skin, that works too, but I'm going to go th- these small owners who think, oh, well, if we don't talk about how horrible we've been, no one will know. The fans will never know we're terrible. Want to know why? Because we're attracting 2,000 a game. There's no one here to see how futile we've been. It, it's it's absolutely laughable. And now you have this controversy. Like, yeah, more people are talking about the Baltimore Orioles because of something stupid that they did rather than the fact that they're probably going to win the American League East this year with a fun, young roster, young stars, guys that should be absolutely highlighted by the Orioles and Major League Baseball, and instead you're firing the – because he's he's casting – he's not casting the bright light. He is bringing – you know, the light will seem brighter with the darkness beside it, right? You know, like it shows up a little bit brighter. That's all he's doing. He's giving context to make that light seem even brighter than it is. And the Orioles said, no, no, no. How how dare you? And they sent him home. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, I saw some, Tom McCarthy, the Phillies announcer, was talking about it, I think, today. And he had a good quote where he's like, if you're going to appreciate the success of your organization, you have to look back and see the struggles that got you to the successful run. Oh, for it's, sure. Because it's, it's all about it's, telling it's a story. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you, you're right. I mean, I'm I'm rewatching it, and, and please read the uh, Dirt Dog Diaries that I'm writing about the 2004 postseason uh, on a weekly basis. But I mean, dear God, watch those broadcasts. The Fox announcers. The, we're talking national broadcasters who usually kind of don't know the little, the more like underlying storylines of some franchises and stuff. They hammered the the 86 years, 1918. Babe Ruth, Curse of the Ben, because was I'm sure not casual fan. was not a big Tim McCarver fan then. Nobody was. I, I will say my my thoughts on rewatching Joe Buck have certainly changed. Uh, in a lot of I like Joe Buck now, and, and I've I've grown to appreciate him more and more over the years. Um, but yeah, lumping him with McCarver, especially back in like '04. I will also say, hand up, we were probably a little touchy in '04. Like around that time where it's like we took everything straight to heart. And I regret nothing. Oh three was a real hard kick in the testes. <laughs> well, and it just seemed, you know, the the admiration, which I'm sure there was. I'm sure Joe Buck did have admiration for the Yankees, and they were 
broadcast of those games. I mean, Joe Buck was like 27 when he did the 96 World Series, which seems incredible that a 27-year-old was doing the 96 World Series and then did like every World Series for, you know, whatever, 25 years or something after that. I'm sure he did have a, a admiration for the Yankees. McCarver was just overly negative about everything, but would laud Derek Jeter. It, it's That's where it's insufferable. Plus, Joe Buck, and he still does to this day, I think even almost more so watching these 04 games, like his call is very like kind of monotone. Like he doesn't yell, he doesn't scream, but he chooses words carefully, but he is he kind of keeps it low. So even when the Red Sox are like winning these games, you'll notice he never like exclaims. It's always just sort of like a, you know, you can keep running to tomorrow night, you know, things like that. You're like, okay, they're, they're good calls, but they're not, you know, yelling, screaming, and the Red Sox have walked, you know, like, it, it's not that. So uh, we, we could go on on fucking <laughs> yeah. McCarver forever, but. Thankful, I've never had too many. I think I've got one, one high school parent get upset and send a. Send a strongly worded email at one point because it's something you said or yeah, something you were critical we of, or we're doing you know high school soccer, which high school sports is different. It's very much yes, ninety nine percent positive, trying to stay positive. Sure, you don't, and it was it came off of a positive comment. This one girl had an unbelievable game defensively. Soccer, this soccer quarterfinals match. We did video for streaming or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think we said something along the lines of, she's a brick wall, a one-woman defense back there. You don't even need the other defenders with how she's playing. And one of the parents for the other defenders sent an email saying we're being disrespectful to the other girls by saying she didn't need them. Okay. And you yeah, just kind of that, said, that's, oh, that's that was not touchy. the intention. Right. Sorry for any blah, blah, blah. I think that's really kind of the only one. Uh, I will say, just kind of speaking in general on it. So, I love Joe Castiglione. I mean, you, you and I, you know, years ago met him. You know, when yep. he was up in Bangor for an event, it couldn't be a nicer man. I've gotten to Read talk to him a book. couple of times. Yes, absolutely, incredible book. But I actually, really recent years, that. I feel like. Kind of like seeing Muhammad Ali at the end of his career. You're like, you oh, know, not, I mean, throwing, and, not throwing the same heat. And, and he is scaling back. He's not you know, making all the road trips, and they are you know, kind of moving away. And it, it appears you know, Will Fleming is going to be the guy. And I know, people, I know people who knew Will Fleming from when he was in Pawtucket because he was there for several years. Good radio voice, good delivery, certainly a pro's pro. But my one thing with him is, not so much his call, but he does have a way more critical bend to him, obviously, than Joe Castiglione. That may be, you know, like I'm used to Joe. He's been the broadcaster since, I think, 84. So literally, yeah. every Plus, day I've walked this planet, Joe Castiglione's a Red Sox radio broadcaster. Yeah, and, you know, Boston especially is really known for sure. the Homer radio guys. and Well, but and what this feels like. And, Red Sox, you know, Celtics. But they've had Lou Merloni in the booth with him. And I actually, I think Merloni does a great job. I really like yeah. Lou Merloni in the booth. He's very knowledgeable and he will be critical, but I always feel like it's very kind of constructive and, and technical. And it's always a critique. Uh, and kind of from him, I, I certainly get it. Fleming seems to use statistics, he uses them very well, 
But there's a lot of times where he'll say things kind of incredulously. Of, you know, Rafael Devers makes an error. He'll go, God, that's that's his second error this week. And, and this team is just not going to win with that kind of, you know, d- defense at third base. Rafael Devers is going to have to get it together if this team's ever going to win. It's like, okay, we get, like, we get the error. We understand it's bad. Move on. Like, don't always harp, but like, feels like no, his defense has been atrocious. <laughs> it has been terrible. And that is not the greatest example right now, but I have heard him do over the last like three years, the Rafi Devers defense, you know, statistical rant. And he just kind of harps on his, okay. Yeah. That was four plays. Ago. That was four batters ago that Devers made the error. Like, yeah, we, we, we got to move on. So I, I hope he kind of gets out of that. When they're going good, it, he's, very positive and he does give exuberant home run calls and he does a nice job, but there is a kind of a, a criticality that I'm always like, yeah, not, not my favorite look. It's interesting, especially on the hometown broadcasts, you know? Oh yeah. Well, especially base, like baseball. So like you want to enjoy it. You want to just have it on and know what's happening. And you know, like tonight I was out, out in the garage, you know, grilling and, yeah, Joe Stiglione and Sean McDonough, and I forget. I love Sean McDonough. I think if I had my druthers, it would be like him and Merloni, you know, after Castiglione retires, um, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Like just an easy broadcast to listen to. Knew everything that was happening. They were explaining everything, and there was none of the kind of critical one way or the other. It's like just tell me what's happening. Paint paint the picture and tell me the story. Mm. It's true. So much turnover. With the Red Sox announcing TV and radio, everyone just oh, kind of sure. trying to find the groove. Some days I'm like, "Ooh, Euclid, great job." Other days I'm like, "Yeah." Well, I almost it, miss kind of. To... I almost miss those odd was kind of the rotation and having different voices every now and again. When you would have you know Remy doing some, and then you know whoever it may be in kind of in you, and you out have Eckersley do some Eckersley and yeah, in and like, you know, a Wakefield Mid- and a Middlebrooks and a Merloni yeah. and the same kind of like the Celtics. It was always, you know, Tom, it got to the point where Tommy only did home games and then Scal right. would do the road games and it was all oh, different kind of voices. Yeah. It's hard to kind of get to that, that point where you settle it. Like, you have to have a good run to where you settle in and you're ready to hear them for an entire season. Well, I don't think, especially in baseball, I don't know if we're going to see that again. I, I don't know if we're going to see that Don and Jerry combo, which I get what you're saying, and I think we're seeing that more and more, and I think it's sort of the way it's going to go, is that you know, I think when Jerry Remy stepped aside, everyone wanted, okay, give me Dennis Eckersley every night. Like you need that, like almost continuity. You know, you turn the game on, you hear Don and Eck, you hear Don and Jerry, like, you know, you're watching Red Sox baseball. Like that's what we're doing. Um, but I think now it is, I mean, trying to get someone to do 162 games you know, on TV broadcast or whatever it is, 150 with, with national games, but traveled every road trip and, and calling games every day. I just think it's realistic. I think you're going to, you have to have a, you know, supporting cast of guys, you know, where you're sort of always auditioning for it because I don't think we're going to see it much anymore. I'll be interested to see who's going to, I'm guessing maybe Sean Grandy will take over for Mike Gorman, who announced this is going to be his final season for the Celtics, and I love Mike Gorman. 
He does such a good job. He does. It's just the voice of the Celtics. And again, another one who, I mean, he's been doing it our entire life. I mean, we don't know, you know, life without Mike Gorman calling Celtic games. Uh, I totally agree. I think it's going to be Grandy, um, which we'll miss him on the radio. He's been, I mean, dear God, how long he's been doing the radio for 20 plus years now. I mean, I remember from like you know, those O2 playoffs and such. I mean, he's been on there a long time. Um, no, Gr- Grandy's a great, great one. Um, got to i've worked with him a couple of times even i we drove from boston to bangor one time just 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 the two of us me and sean grandy so um yeah i've got some stories with he and with he and max there's a combo i would hate to see broken up is is sean grandy and cedric maxwell because like one without the other it's it'll just it would just be weird yeah but it seems like the natural in terms of broadcasting, I feel like that's the triple A moving up to the majors is when you go radio to TV, especially well, nowadays. And he, and, when and radio he's, and he's is been less... doing stuff. I mean, he's done some broadcast filling in for, yeah. for Mike over the years. So it, and he's a guy, he's done some other stuff. I remember talking to him and he was talking about the summer. I can't remember who he was filling in for, where he was doing like games on Nesson because Don was out and he did like a summer of Red Sox radio with Castiglione. And, you know, so he's, He's done a lot of different stuff and continues to do a lot of different stuff. But, uh, yeah, he's probably the most likely to join, I'm guessing, probably Scal. Be just Grainy and Scalabrini. Keep Scal, and then you'd bring in kind of a new radio play-by-play guy to work with Cedric and keep it moving. Yeah. It'll take some getting used to. Like I said, a lot of change in the air. Just tell Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. You know, I like Van, Van Gundy, Gundy like, but Van know. Gundy, I get it. Mark Jackson is horrendous. Yeah. Absolutely, like nobody has been more depressed to call an NBA game than Mark Jackson. He just sounds when it's Golden State. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. He is miserable every game. Like he just sounds like just his voice, his inflection, topic. He's always harping on negative. Just and, and and frankly, I think he always brought Van Gundy down in that way too, because I think Van Gundy kind of fell into the trap of getting more and more negative just the more he's around him. But but you know, what one guy had been there about seventeen seasons, or and the other like eleven or twelve, and it was, I'm guessing they got pay bumps every year, and ESPN looking to cut some salaries with their lack of success doing a lot of different things and. Paying well, a lot and, of money and, and to I, bring in Pat McAfee. Well, and I feel for Mike Breen because, I mean, dear God, he's been doing those the games with those guys for so long. And Breen is is outstanding. He's, oh, he's unbelievable. But, but I mean, but, but he's the been rumor doing it with those is guys just, and now he, he's got to come up with a different, you know. The rumor is they're going to slide up Doris Burke into that A team and pair him with Doc Rivers, who Doc was great doing TV before he what came back with the Celtics. I think after Orlando, he did a stint yes. yep. on TV and was really good. So it should be a pretty good team. I would think for, Brady. I don't know. I, Dor- I like Dor- Doris. Doris Burke in the booth has been a uh, little iffy. Sure. Great, but that was kind of as you know, si- sideline was always, you know, always right. good, but, but that was kind of as the, booth is... the second team only had two people. So I think a lot kind of was on there. To where she can play off a Doc Rivers and Mike, I think could work well. We'll see. We will see. All right, we're going to wrap this up. We're not going to get to the movie today because we're already 
in there, which this part of the year, I don't know if we'll get another movie review in. It depends on what we have as we're finally hitting football season and have stuff coming up. I'm going to throw this anecdote out there just to to kind of put a cap on maybe the movies for for now, and, and we'll do some you know as stuff comes up. But um, I went to watch as we were going to record last week because we had had it planned that we were going yeah. to, and then schedule like you said got away. But uh, I was going to watch Eraser because it was Schwarzenegger's birthday, and I was like, you know, I want to find an Arnold movie one I haven't seen. Eraser has been kind of on my list just as sort of a curiosity. I remember when it came out, and you know. Um, and I was going to start it on Monday night, finish it on Tuesday night. Instead, I was going to start it Tuesday night and finish it, you know, before the show on on Wednesday. And I've never had this happen before, but went to watch on Amazon Prime at like 10 p.m. or something or 1030 or something like that. And it literally had a warning on Eraser that said this is leaving Prime in one hour and 19 minutes. And I'm doing the math. I'm like, well, it's an hour and 50 or two hour movie. I'm like, I couldn't finish this by the time they pulled this from from Prime. So I'm frantically trying to find another movie. I'm like, well, wait, I have to call an audible now. And it's 1030 at night. And I've got to try to get this done you know, for the Wednesday show. So I remember texting you going like, hey, can't watch Eraser. I found Conan the Barbarian. So we're going with that instead and watch Conan. And then we we didn't record anyway. But yeah, don't think there was much to say. So we also watched some no, Armageddon, which was not on our list because I just assumed you had seen it because it was ninety eight. Like, oh, he, everyone saw Armageddon. He had to have seen that. And then you're like, oh, what about this? I haven't seen it. Like, oh. And a fun fact: originally, they kicked the tires on the idea of Arnold Schwarzenegger for the Bruce Willis role, and thank God that didn't happen because that just not would not have worked out right that would have been a weird one you would not have gotten those emotional tear jerking moments at the end it would certainly would have been weird it it would have been very different it would i don't know i mean he could have been the threatening dad to you know which by the way kudos just kudos to Liv tyler like Liv tyler just absolutely perfect for that role no i i will just say without going too far into armageddon it's outstanding Absolutely outstanding. Like out of all the movies we've watched this year, which I think looking at my list, I'm beginning the thirty eighth new movie I've seen this year that I had not seen previously. Um it's in the top like I don't know, I don't have the lit, but maybe like top easy top five. Yeah. Maybe top three. It, it's way up there. Critics hate on it, but it is such a good movie. And sure, if you want to dive into nitpicks, there's plenty. But just appreciate it for what it is. It's great. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the necessarily like. I, I know that it does get like some like people criticize it or something or, or like to like the science they, they, nerds they, like to point out a lot of who can, it's a, like. I, I want to move it to a little more popcorn. Like I, the week before that, so it came down to the discussion. We were going to watch either Interstellar or Armageddon. Don't ask me why it came down to those two. They just have to be next to each other, and we were debating which one to watch. We watched Interstellar. I hated it. Like Interstellar is just way too. Like it was going to school for like two and a half hours or whatever. It's in the weeds. I had no idea what I'm watching. I have no idea. Like, oh, they're in a black hole. Why is he fighting him? I have no idea why they're doing this. Nobody. Like everything was too serious and too. You know, yeah, I needed the the popcorn space movie 
loved Armageddon would give it like a nine. I would give Interstellar like a two. If you can find, like on the DVD, they had a commentary track with Michael Bay and like Ben Affleck, and it is freaking hilarious. And there's like at one point, Affleck's like, seriously, no one's been able to explain why is it easier to train oil workers to be astronauts <laughs> than astronauts to drill? And Michael Bay's just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> that is kind of a great point. Um, the highlight of the movie, my my favorite scene, was when Bruce Willis goes back, to, I think it was to Billy Bob Thornton, and tells him, okay, my guys will do it, but here's their conditions. And he has like six pages of loose leaf paper, different colors. Uh, he says, this is what they want. You know, and one of them's like, he wants his parking tickets taken care of. Another one wants you to bring back eight track tapes. And he goes, and they don't want to pay taxes ever. <laughs> just the, the delivery. And there's a couple other good ones in that line too, of like the things that they wanted. We're all such like, either the world's going to end or we're going to get this. And we don't necessarily want like millions of dollars, but we don't want to pay taxes anymore ever. Like just, it was so good. It was fun. I was doing some research about it and I saw someone was talking about it. I was like, man, when you really think about it, right wing really wins in this movie. Super patriotic. One of the most patriotic movies you can sure. watch. But you have, you know, Greenpeace is the bad guys and they're hitting golf balls at them. <laughs> the world is saved by the oil companies. For their reward, the oil company workers don't want to pay taxes anymore. <laughs> like, huh. they, know what they know what they're fighting for. Uh, I feel no, like that, after, after they, you know, Harry gets a statue at some point, and by 2023, they're canceling Harry. <laughs> they dig deep, and there's a Greenpeace member saying, he hit me in the head with a golf ball once. Uh, he blasted oh, oh, a shotgun oh, oh. multiple times at one of his workers Yeah, on shooting, an oil rig. Sh- shooting a shotgun on an oil rig, I mean, it seemed like a really bad idea, but there was a lot of bad ideas. Um, you want to know what's wild? And this speaks to me having never seen this movie, and it's been out almost 25 years and was yeah, one of the most famous movies of that time. Um I had no idea Bruce Willis died in the end, and that never got spoiled for me. Wow. Like, I had no idea. So, like, as it was happening, I'm like, there was still a part of me as he was doing it. Like, I knew he wasn't going to let, obviously, Ben Affleck do it. I said, okay, this doesn't make sense that he would let him die. Like, he's going to do it himself. There's still a part of me, like, when it's not working or something, I'm like, oh, Bruce Willis is going to, like, jump out of that hole right now and, like, jump back on the thing and... He figured out a way to do it. Like he used a, you know, some callback to a shoelace or something and, you know, be able to rig the nuke or something like that. Um, but yeah, I had no idea. So that was not spoiled for me. And in, in the 25 years this movie's been out, uh, still some tear jerking moments in there, man. And I've there seen is. it a lot of times. I've seen the it trans- a lot. The transmission with, with his daughter mm-hmm. right before Ben Affleck breaking down. When he rips the hose out, kicks him out, gives him the patch. It's like, your job is to take care of my daughter now. I love you. Affleck's just sobbing and tears and snot bubbles. I love you. 
Every like time. they all like they all knew when he came back up through the whatever elevator thing. Like they all knew. Like none of them were surprised. They're like none of them were like, yeah. "What happened?" They're like they knew. I mean, he was he was volunteering two minutes before. Like, yeah, that was also fun fact. The Aerosmith song "I Don't Want to Miss a Thing." It was their first ever number one hit. Yeah, that's a good fact. Yeah. Can you tell me the country artist who covered it like that same summer? Seems like a Leanne Rhymes type of thing. No, you're confused. That was uh, Leanne Rhymes. No, and I know she would both put out. What would you know? How can I live without you? Yes, for Con Air. Yes. Uh, no, it was uh, Mark Chestnut. Mark Chestnut did. I don't I haven't heard that name in a while. Love me some Mark Chestnut. I'm, I'm, I listen to a lot of country gold. Hmm. Interesting. It's a good one to go out on. Yes, sir. We'll be back next week. I'm sure diving into more training camp. What? This weekend, I think. Kind of the first preseason week football. of Patriots, preseason. 24 hours off. away. Week one. Yeah. <laughs> Some people will play. Patriots, Texans, Stroud, Malik Cunningham. Next. Yeah. The McCordy cast. Oh, so we will have all kinds of that stuff. We're what? what are we four weeks away from week one? Something like that? Uh, Opening day. Well, the opening Sunday is September 10th. So we are yeah, about four weeks. exactly one month away from the start of the NFL. Pretty much. So maybe we'll start diving into some divisions or something over the next four weeks. Maybe we'll go by region. Like each week we'll hit AFC East, NFC East, AFC West, NFC West, something like that. We'll come up with something. Delve into getting excited. Structure? Are you talking about structure? Are we going to have structure in this show? Maybe. Hmm. Maybe. Just for just for preseason. Just something we'll, just something we'll try on as we, we get into the... We'll try a little structure, see how it fits us. Yeah, it wasn't great last season. We were like, all right, this week we're going to do three teams we like, three teams we hate. Yeah, Next we're week, not going that structured. Five things we think are interesting. The the just shooting the shooting the breeze has been working well for us. Uh, all right, we got to get out of here. Uh, you've been listening to the new sports order. This has been a production of Uncommon Media.